good morning. Okay, here we go. My former uh, preaching professor, uh, Lucy Rose, may she rest in peace. Lucy, when she taught us, she said, uh, you preacher wannabes, um, the reality is when you stand up to preach, you're going to preach to one of three different places. You're going to preach to people's heads, going to preach to people's hearts, or are you going to preach to their hands and feet? In other words, Lucy was saying you're going to, sometimes your sermons will make people think, sometimes you'll make them feel, other times your sermons will make people get up and move and serve. So this morning I'm just letting you know straight away, if you're going to try to figure out which one this is, this is one for your head. Today is one of those messages that is designed to make you think. So uh, I'm just forewarning you. Okay? So, so last week we celebrated Pentecost. And Pentecost was the birthday of the church when God breathed God's spirit onto the people, onto the church. And we noted how the spirit of God was not so much about giving the spirit solely to individuals, but the spirit was given to the entire community, the Christian community. And the purpose of bestowing those gifts on Pentecost was to declare by word and deed the mighty acts of God. And that's what occurred in Pentecost from Acts chapter 2. This Sunday, as uh, compared to last Sunday where we looked at Pentecost, this Sunday uh, there's a shift in the church's calendar. And what is today? Don't say Father's Day. It's not on the church calendar. It's on the Hallmark calendar. Hallmark calendar, it's Father's Day. And the church calendar today is Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday, where we remember the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity, one of the most difficult concepts in the Christian um, theology for us to grab. Like Jews, we believe there is one God, and yet we believe this one God has three distinct persons that manifest themselves uniquely. And our text today in John chapter 16, which I invite you to go ahead and turn to, uh, John chapter 16, um, we find that Jesus is in an extended conversation with his disciples. Uh, John, the author of the gospel, spends almost 20%, that is chapters 13 to 17, with one scene. He devotes 20% of his gospel to one particular scene. And it's when Jesus is with the disciples the night he is betrayed. What has happened in this scene already from John 13 to 17? Well, we see in this scene that Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. We see that Jesus has reinterpreted the Passover cedar into what we call now the Lord's Supper. And we see in these chapters that Jesus is spending an awful lot of time explaining to his friends 
what is about to happen. And he tells them quite frankly and directly, I'm leaving. I'm not going to be around. And he realizes this is going to cause incredible grief among his disciples. Now, this is why John, the author, is slowing the action down. He wants us to linger in this scene with Jesus and the disciples. Now, each of us know the pain of loss that comes our way when those whom we love go away, don't we? Whether it's through school, job transfer, illness, death, the sense of emptiness that you and I experience and feel can be tremendous at the loss of someone. Indeed, their very physical absence can produce within us what I would say a very tangible presence of loss in our life. The disciples that night knew something was up. They just weren't sure what it was. They knew simply that Jesus was leaving them and that he was going to leave them alone, or at least that's what they thought. Now, they didn't know if Jesus was going to go away, if he was, you know, Jesus talked about dying, was that going to be it? They just weren't sure, but they knew it was, it was a big deal. And it was in the midst of this conversation that Jesus speaks to his beloved friends, his disciples, in a very direct way. He's saying, listen, though I will no longer be physically present with you, my absence will be a presence to you, he is saying. But I will be with you in no less dynamic and a timeless way through the presence of the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the counselor. And this is where we pick up in our um, scripture story this morning. John chapter 16, verses 12 to 15. Listen to the word of the Lord. Jesus talking to his beloved says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. The spirit of truth will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. And for this reason I said that the spirit of truth will take what is mine and declare it to you. My friends, that is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My friends, Jesus is giving us a wonderful example of how to do pastoral care, first and foremost, with others. He knows he has to shape his words to his disturbed, upset disciples in such a way they can hear what he's actually saying. He is mindful that in the midst of their anxiety and uncertainty, he cannot just dump everything all at once on their heads. They won't be able to absorb it. A person can only bear so much, as our scripture says. And that word carries with it the meaning of being able to carry something. 
something um, that we can pause and look at and process and deal with. And Jesus is saying, I can't tell you everything right now, my beloved, because you just simply can't carry the weight of it. It's too much for you to process. Jesus knows that what is about to happen will make no sense to his disciples. They just won't get it. And so he tells them, Beloved, I'm leaving. But I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm not leaving you as exposed, uncared for children in this world. And it's at this point that Jesus uses a term that's not used anywhere else in the Gospels. He tells the disciples the coming of the Spirit of truth. The Spirit of truth. Now, Jesus is dropping some pretty heavy news on the disciples. They're upset. They're anxious. They're sad. We might think he would encourage the disciples by saying, I'm going to send you a spirit of gentle hugs and encouragement. Or something along those lines. But he doesn't. He's going to send them the spirit of truth. Now, frankly, I don't know if I'm upset, depressed, down, sad, anxious, if I want the spirit of truth. Jesus is talking about wild stuff. He's about leaving. He's talking about death. The crowds and the leaders, both politically and religiously, are full of angst and belligerence. You go outside, you don't know who you can trust anymore. I don't necessarily need the truth to feel better. I want the equivalent of a heaven-sent My Little Pony unicorn from heaven that's pretty, that sparkles, that I can hug, I can stroke the mane, feel comforted, warm. I want to be able to rub the unicorn's horn and make wishes that make me feel good inside. After all, I'm scared. I'm confused. I'm anxious. My little pony unicorn will make me feel better. But I'm not promised that, am I? You're not promised that either. Jesus promises the spirit of truth. I just wish it sounded more cozy or more comforting. Spirit of truth, we say, frankly, it doesn't feel all warm and fuzzy to me. I want my little unicorn pony in a blanket. I want my blankie and Jesus' promise to be with me. But instead, he says, I'm going to send you the spirit of truth. Great. I hear that spirit of truth all the time in my family. We have notions of who we think we are, but then those closest to us can remind us with the truth of reality. And we're brought back right to humility. Spirit of truth? Is that what we're going to get, Jesus? Really? And yet Jesus knows what he's doing. He knows that when a person is depressed, when a person is sad, when a person is confused, they will be suckers for all types of manipulations and lies. They know that when a person is emotionally, physically, spiritually vulnerable, people are apt to give up what they hold most dear and grasp at anything that brings 
comfort and consolation. Even if those things that bring comfort and consolation aren't healthy or good. So Jesus tells these disciples, I'm going to give you the spirit of truth to guide you through the minefields that are to come. I'm going to give you the spirit of truth that will listen to the whispers of God and speaks them to you. I'm going to give you the spirit of truth who will declare the ways of Jesus and will glorify God in the process. Now, if we pause just a moment and remember our story correctly, we know that when Jesus is crucified and buried, the disciples did not know what to make of it all, did they? They pretty much scattered like fleas on a dog. They were in fear of persecution. They went into hiding. And Jesus knew this was going to happen. He knew it was vital for them to remember his words and to remember his teachings correctly. Jesus knew that in the midst of their spiritual, physical, emotional vulnerability, the disciples would be easy prey. For those who fabricated lies, about Jesus and his ministry, about Jesus and his relationship with those unclean people. The disciples, my friends, didn't need a cozy, bright, heavenly My Little Pony. The disciples, the church, needs a spirit of truth that would speak clearly in an emotionally and spiritually swirly time. Early this morning, Betty Grant was driving south on I-95 near Oakland Park Boulevard when she was involved in a car accident. The car flipped, burst into flames. Two men observed what was going on at the time, and they were confronted with a dilemma. A, they could stand there and watch the car burning in flames with this woman inside and simply say, bummer. That's a bad accident. I wonder if she's going to get out. Or they were faced with the dilemma of, we need to do something to get her out. Friends, they responded, they assessed the truth and responded to the need of Betty Grant's life and saved it. Because they responded to the spirit of truth in a dire situation. Friends, like the first disciples, you and I need the spirit of truth in our physically, spiritually, emotionally swirly world. We desperately need to know what truth is and how to see it, how to know it, how to experience it when we encounter truth. But sadly today, our culture and nation is more apt to believe in truthiness instead of truth. Truthiness. 
Dictionary.com defines truthiness as a belief or assertion that a particular statement is true, not based on fact, but on a person's intuition or perceptions of some individual without regard for evidence, logic, or intellectual examination. It's truthy. It looks kind of true. It's my truth. It was a term coined by Stephen Colbert all the way back in 2005 in his late night show, The Colbert Report. As he discussed how politicians spin facts to make themselves look better than they really are. Beloved, I will go so far as to say truthiness is a dangerous thing. Truthiness is ripping this nation apart at the seams. Not just from politics, but from education and even in church, even in the church today. How do we stem the tide? Well, preacher, what do you mean there's truthiness in the church? I mean, come on. The church is about truth. Friends, look at our church history, Christian church history. Inquisition, that was truthiness. Segregation of people because of the color of their skin, that was truthiness, that wasn't truth. Women who are told to be seen and not heard in leadership in the truth, that is, is leadership in the church, that is truthiness. That is not truth in Scripture. Judging people by the number of chromosomes and the weight of the chromosomes and the way they express him or herself, that's truthiness. That's not truth. They are beloved children of God. We have been guilty of the same thing. Beloved, we must remember that Jesus refers to himself as what? The way, the... The what? The truth and the life. Back in John 14, 16, in the middle of this conversation, he is the one who defines what truth is for Christ followers. Jesus' words, his actions, his ministry define what truth is for the church, for the world. Dr. Eugene Bay says that, quote, truth corresponds morally and ethically with who and what Jesus is. It cares about the things Jesus cares about and carries out the kind of ministry that reflects Jesus' ministry among the people he lived with. Jesus is the norming norm. Jesus' morals, ethics, passions for life, for how people are to respond and get along with each other, how they're to love God, is the measure and the ruler by which we measure truth. Truth is not measured by my opinion, my perceived intuition. 
It is not based on political, economic, or spiritual, personally held beliefs. It is measured against Jesus' life, death and resurrection, how he lived among all types of disparate people, how he defined neighbor beyond the cultural norms of his day, and how he loved and blessed the biased and the saint, the sinner as well as the beloved, and invited them all into the realm of God. Friends, truth, truth is what I want to live in and experience. And Jesus is the guide. And all of God's people said, Pray with me. Holy Spirit, come. Open your people's ears and hearts and eyes and lives to the movement of the spirit of truth in our life. A truth that may not always be warm and cozy and comfortable, but Lord, truth that is life-giving, life-enhancing, not only to ourselves, but for others. Holy Spirit, come. Abide with your people in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.